What reservoirs and cows have in common? That and other stories for the week ending November 1st, 2015. I'm Jamie Sudler. I'm Franny Halperin. And it's This Week in Water. Cod are in hot water, and some like it and some don't. Their numbers in New England have dropped to record lows in the past few decades, a distressing circumstance for a species that was once so plentiful it gave Cape Cod its name. But in 1992, the Northwest Atlantic cod numbers were around 1% of their historic levels. Since then, despite decades of quotas, the fish have not rebounded, and nobody totally understands why. Until now, perhaps. A study just released in the journal Science puts the blame squarely on climate change, saying that between 2004 and 2013, water temperature in the area rose an astounding 4 degrees, almost 100% faster than the world's other large saltwater bodies. The researchers attributed the temperature rise to shifts in ocean currents caused by global warming. And that's produced both winners and losers. The same warming is fueling a rise in lobster populations, in part because there are fewer cod which eat them, but also because lobsters grow faster in warmer waters. But seafood lovers shouldn't panic about a cod shortage because other fisheries, such as in the Bering Sea, are doing much better. But in stark contrast to what's going on in New England waters, another study was published last week showing that cod are recovering off the coast of Newfoundland and Labrador. Cod in the northern waters became commercially extinct in the 1990s and were a symbol of overfishing. But the authors of this study described the rebound as the most significant comeback of any fish worldwide. For 20 years, there has been a moratorium on commercial fishing of the northern cod. But why is the fish coming back in this area, but not further to the south? One researcher who's been studying cod populations in Maine explained that the cod that inhabit the waters off the coast of Newfoundland and Labrador are in the northern reaches of their range, while those found in New England inhabit the lower end of the range. The conclusion to draw, if you warm up both areas, Canadian cod will be happier, while those in New England will be out of their comfort zone. So, Franny, what do cows and reservoirs have in common? Uh, what do you mean? One's an animal and one's a body of water. What they have in common is that they each emit methane. They're both a source of the gas which causes global warming much more powerfully over short periods of time than carbon dioxide. Okay, so I get a cow's of flatulence. So how is it that a reservoir um, passes gas? Well, in a way, a reservoir is like a big cow's stomach. Both a reservoir and cow guts have microbes in them, and those microbes are little bacteria who eat carbon in order to live, and they emit methane. So since methane is a powerful greenhouse gas, you'd think scientists and activists would be really concerned about dams and reservoirs. And in fact, they are. Last weekend, representatives of indigenous peoples from all over the world met in Malaysia to celebrate the efforts of local people there who have blocked the building of a new dam. Those attending were from Honduras, Cambodia, Brazil, and the U.S., among others, all concerned about saving rivers. And the gathering of Native peoples passed a declaration that calls on governments and institutions to stop promoting dams as green energy and to recognize that reservoirs emit large amounts of greenhouse gases, including methane. But what is science doing about this problem? According to Scientific American, it was thought that emissions from reservoirs were about 20% of all man-made methane releases, but the concern is that reservoirs are emitting much more methane than previously believed. Some research is suggesting that all the world's reservoirs emit nearly as much methane, if not more, than all that 
from burning fossil fuels. According to Scientific American, the EPA was to begin measuring methane emissions in 25 reservoirs from Indiana to Georgia this year. And finally, speaking of methane, that jack-o'-lantern you so painstakingly carved last week it may be killing the planet. That is, at least according to the Department of Energy. In a blog post last week, the agency warned that many Halloween pumpkins will be tossed into landfills and contribute to climate change. The DOE estimates that 254 million tons of pumpkin goes into waste sites where they decompose and eventually release methane. Additionally, every year, 1.3 billion pumpkins are grown in the U.S. alone. That's a huge hit to the environment because it takes a lot of land and water to grow that many gourds, all for something we don't even eat. But the Department of Energy is not trying to be a buzzkill. The agency pointed out that there's a huge opportunity for clean energy, turning that waste into fuel. The department has two integrated biorefineries planned. When in full operation, they will produce 92 million gallons of biofuel per year for the military. Until then, they recommend composting your pumpkin, which, unlike a landfill, decomposes with oxygen and doesn't create methane. Or you can toss them in your yard and let the squirrels and birds or other wildlife eat them. You know, let nature do its thing. This Week in Water is a production of H2O Radio and is sponsored by Colorado WaterWise. Learn more at coloradowaterwise.org. Pumpkin, 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 pumpkin. pumpkin.